Thank you, Ken. And thanks, Jason, for leading us in worship with the team. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. It's been a few weeks for me, anyway. Uh, I've enjoyed some family time over the last couple of weekends, but uh, missed you. Glad to see you all here. Um, a lot to cover uh, before we even get into the sermon this morning, so I'm going to just dig in and start rolling. But um, first of all, I just want to um, just say this, like we, we try to be mindful that we have um, an audience that's uh, listening and participating online who can't be here in person. Um, we never want that to be an excuse to, to be lazy or to, you know, to neglect being in, here in person because there's just so much more value from what we're doing by being with one another. But we recognize not everybody can be, and there are people who are home different reasons people in the hospital this past week it seems like the number of our members who are at home or in the hospital has gone up significantly so i know we have a lot of people um, viewing tuning in we usually have about 60 to 80 folks on a sunday who are viewing that way and i want to say this i typically say to them and i say to you if you're listening online we miss you like we'd rather have you in person but we're glad you're joining us this way but i thought it might be good to say a word to ourselves that if you know somebody who is um, at home who can't be here or at the hospital, and that person comes to mind, like even right now, maybe just make an internal commitment to go see them in person, um, because that is um, way better than just watching on a, on a screen. So we're glad you're joining us if you're online. We miss you and church that are here. If you know somebody, make it a point this week just to go spend time with them in person. Let them know they're missed. Let them experience uh, the contact of another human being. Um, that might be, might be a huge blessing to them. Um, I want to say this too to everybody especially those of you who are here. If you've come today, if you're new here or visiting with us or, or maybe even just new to church, you've come in today and you need something from God, um, I want to let you know that I am hopeful uh, that you can have it, um, that God sees your needs even before you do. And it might be helpful to, if you haven't yet, just stop. Take some inventory on what you might need from, from God today. Encouragement, healing, uh, change of direction, answers to a question, just maybe just faith itself. Maybe you're going through a season of doubt. I was just thinking as we were worshiping this morning, some of the lyrics kind of caught me this morning in a personal way. I've been a Christian now for 22 years this June, and I, I think if I look back over the last 22 years, I've actually experienced as much or more transformation in my life in the last 24 months than I have in any other season in my life. And I say that to say, you may be one of those people. You've been a Christian for a long time, maybe decades. And, and so you come in week in, week out as kind of part of your weekly rhythm and your weekly liturgy. And that's fantastic. Do that. But don't do so expecting that the work God wants to do in your life is already done. Uh, there is more, in, I believe, in store for you, whether you've been a Christian for like 30 minutes or 30 years. So I just want to say those things on the front end. We've got a lot of exciting things happening around the church I want to bring your attention to as well. We will get to 1 Peter chapter 4 in just a minute, the passage that Ken was reading. Um, first of all, like, uh, we're really excited about a number of things. I'll start with um, staffing updates. I know Blake mentioned last week, be, be, be listening for a new update. We've got um, a couple of different candidates in the interview pipeline for both student pastor and executive pastor. Um, both of those candidates have progressed this last week. Um, and so be looking for an exciting announcement. Students, um, if you're 6th through 12th grade, we're really excited um, that we've, we're going to have, hopefully have an announcement for you soon. Um, and so just wanted you to be aware of that. I didn't want you to think that you know, nothing was happening, but we're not at the place quite yet to where everything is solidified, where we can introduce you to those, those people. But just be praying for them, praying for us. Um, we're, we're, um, we're excited that God has already filled two positions this year, potentially two more in the next week or two. 
uh, and we still have one more to fill, so can just continue praying for all that. I want you to be aware of what God is doing in those particular things. Men, men's conference is coming up. The uh, opportunity to register is coming to a close soon. I think it's Wednesday. Don't hold me to that, but there's no need to wait. Um, this coming weekend is our men's conference, Friday and Saturday. Um, so go online and register. Um, this is really, really going to be an exciting time to be together. Um, I, I, I don't know why this year in particular I'm excited. Probably because my best friend is leading worship. He's really amazing. Uh, you're going to love uh, being led by uh, Randy Wood in worship, but also Ryan speaking. He's another, another guy I really have a lot of respect for. And so I'm personally excited just to come be present with you and receive what the Lord has for me. Um, if you've never been to a men's conference or you're new to church, and you're like, man, this sounds kind of weird. I don't know if I want to sign up for something. Hey, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Register, show up, and just believe that God has something in store for you. Um, I want to encourage you to do that, especially if you've never been on a men's retreat or a men's conference, that sort of thing. Sign up for that. Um, last thing is this. Um, Easter is right around the corner, so we're going to, after today, we'll take um, a, a break from the First Peter series. So next Sunday will be Palm Sunday, then we have Good Friday service, and then Easter. The Sunday after Easter, we'll pick up and finish 1 Peter and get the stage set for 2 Peter, okay? But I'm saying that because it, something really exciting is happening in the church, and, and we don't always know the rhyme or reason, especially when we just keep doing the same thing over time and the Lord just blesses. But our attendance has been, has been moving up this year. Uh, the first two months of the year is our highest January-February attendance. Um, on record, and, and we're not really, from our perspective, doing anything different. We're not trying to become a big church. It just is some indication of what God is doing, and so I want to share that with you, and, and that gives us some expectation then for Easter, um, and so we're expecting a really large crowd for Easter. Um, we have actually put um, in the seat back in front of you an invitation card, but don't grab that yet, unless you already have, but don't grab it yet, okay? There's an invitation card in the seat back in front. There's only one, like every other seat, and we've got a few more for the next service. Here's what I would say. If God puts somebody on your heart, a person or a family, a coworker, a neighbor, to invite, um, we want you to grab that card and take it home with you today. And as you invite them, that's just a helpful reminder of the service times and the address to the church and just a, kind of our heart behind them showing up. What we don't want to do is just pull all those out with good intentions and then find them three weeks from now, you know, it's stowed away in the glove box. Oh, I wish I would have remembered to get to that. So our kind of our call to you, our invitation to you, is to be very intentional with that if God puts somebody on your heart. Now, you don't have to have the card to invite somebody, um, but if you need that, like, hey, I really make sure this coworker remembers what time it is, hey, grab that card, give a heartfelt, warm invitation to join us at Easter, and then, and then hand them that card as a reminder. So that's what those are there for. Um, please um, just consider taking one, and then um, next service, we'll restock them as well, okay? There's that. All right, you ready to get into the scripture? Uh, as I mentioned, we just have a few weeks here left in First Peter. There's been this recurring theme of suffering. We were talking about this in our community group this last week. It's like, man, this is just a lot of talk about suffering. And then the further along the community group discussion went, the more we realized, oh my gosh, like almost everybody in this group is walking through something. And like how often in our everyday lives, suffering is happening and we're holding that inside and nobody even knows. And so as God has led us into 1 Peter and we're, we're hearing God's encouragement to Christians who are, are suffering and there's a recurring theme. Now as Blake pointed out last week and Ken pointed out the week before that, the specific suffering that Peter is addressing is suffering that comes as a result of doing something good. 
okay? So doing good in the world does not always end in blessing or result in um, an easy pathway. Oftentimes, when you seek to do good, when you seek to live in a way that honors the Lord and obeys the Lord, you will encounter opposition. God has an enemy. It turns out he doesn't want you to win, okay? Good news is Jesus has already won, right? So we can face that opposition with hope and, and with courage, but the reality is that, that there is a ploy against you in life, and it's going to show up in a lot of different ways. Suffering doesn't always come as the result of decisions or choices or sin. Sometimes suffering happens. The cancer diagnosis comes out of seemingly nowhere, and it's not that you've been good or bad. It's just that we live in this fallen world, and the brokenness is all around us, including every molecule and cell in our bodies. But sometimes harm comes, persecution comes as a result of seeking to do good. And that's specifically what Peter's addressing here. Um, one of the things that, that I kind of do if I'm in a book of the Bible that seems to kind of revisit the same theme over, like the author says it again and again and again, um, which is kind of the passage you heard Ken read earlier, there's some recurring themes there. One thing I, I try to do is go, oh, it seems like God really wants me to hear this. Like if God's right, inspiring this author to write it down more than once, then I, I need to pay attention. Like, God really wants me to hear whatever's being said. But it also gives us the opportunity uh, to look at some of the details that we might otherwise miss, to slow down and go, okay, what else is there um, that's with this particular teaching, this particular scripture that we might learn from? And so we'll, we'll do both of those things today. Um, all right, so we're going to get started in verse 12. Just invite you, if you um, don't have a Bible, we put Bibles under the seat backs in front of you or under the seats around you, not the seat backs, the seat under the seat. Um, if you don't own a Bible, it's our free gift to you. I want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, but verse 12 is where we'll start. And this is what Peter writes after you know, four and a half chapters or three and a half chapters of just suffering talk. He says, Beloved, he's talking to the church, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, so really, I want to spend a few minutes really in that first word. I think that there are so many of us in the church who don't know what to do with that word. What do we do when God calls us beloved? So even though this is coming from a human author, God himself is speaking through this human author. And so God is saying to you, you are my beloved. There are a lot of reasons why I think we struggle to understand what this means and even believe what it means, possibly your own church experience. But if you just look at this objectively from a linguistic perspective, this is what th this word means. When you see this word, it means this. You are beloved you are esteemed, you are favored, or the favorite, you are the object of one's affection. That's the word God is choosing to describe those who are his church, his people, those who are in Christ. So what does God mean when he says that about you? So this is more than Peter's opinion. Again, if we're going to be honest... We don't put a lot of stock in just Peter's opinion because he's flighty sometimes. But as this has been written down, and we'll spend a whole Sunday talking about God's authorship in the Scriptures, God is calling you His beloved. 
Think about that for just a minute. What does God think about you? How does God see you? You look at the the big picture of the Bible, and there are three significant lenses through which God looks through, if you will, to see you. And every person in this room is seen through at least two of these three lenses. Okay, and I'll explain what I mean. So first of all, the Bible opens with a description of who you are. You are created as an image bearer. Okay, so you're set apart. That little wiggly kiddo next to you is an image bearer. Not just bearing your image, though some of them look a lot like their parents, but ultimately bearing the image of God himself. Both male and female bear the image of God. Nothing else in creation can do that. Nothing else. Not the most beautiful sunset or landscape can do those things. You're an image bearer, and God sees you. He sees what he created, that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he called very good. There's another lens through which God looks at when he sees us, and it's the, the, the lens of the, of the corruption of sin and suffering. Turns out Adam and Eve sinned. They broke God's law. And that just didn't impact them. It impacted their children, their children's children, all the way to the generation I'm seeing sitting in this room here today. We have all been born with a sin nature. Okay, so you're born that way. And we have all participated in living out that sin nature. Every person in this room has experienced sin, sinning, and suffering as a result of somebody else's sin. Okay, so there's this lens through which God looks at, looks through when he sees us, he sees you. You're an image bearer, created as something amazing, very good. But he also sees the corruption of sin in your hearts. We, we need another lens, don't we? We need hope in that. And here's what the Bible's going to say if you're in Christ. You are redeemed. What has, was lost has been recovered. What was broken has been restored. So if you're in Christ, you are restored as an image bearer. Okay? Now, I want to help us out a little bit to kind of grasp what's being said here and to talk a little bit about where I think we get this wrong in churches today. So I'll use a simple illustration, then I'll expand it out and grow it out. This will be helpful. So imagine I'm standing on the edge of a cliff right here, and it's 1,000 feet to the floor right here, okay? Some of you are already like, I can see you holding your breath. And right now I am not with God. And I realize to get to God, he's over there in the sound booth. I can see him, yell at him over there but I can't get to him, right? Because as much as I want to, there's a thousand feet footfall here that I will encounter. I mean, my best, I'm a, I'm a jumping fool, but my best jump, man, I'm landing on the second row. I think I can make the second row, but my best attempt to run, I'm gonna fall short. Now, we're not quite yet to a true biblical understanding of the chasm between us and God and our sin nature, but we're beginning to grasp it. So, but here's the thing, if, the, if that's the gap, Give me enough time and enough resources behind me. And I promise you, I mean, it's not going to take me very long. I can build a bridge to get over to there. 
I can do it in my own strength, my own power, my own ingenuity, my own ability to solve problems. I'm not confident in my flesh. Okay? Here's the problem. The distance between me and God is not the stage to the sound booth. Like a matter of fact, it's so far, the chasm stretches so far, you might say it's almost immeasurable. So if you multiplied that out times a thousand, you still wouldn't be at the chasm between me and my sin nature and where God is. So to get to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a miracle. Not just a nudge, not just an encouraging Bible verse to put on my coffee cup to remind me to cheer up. I need something miraculous to happen to get me from here to there. Because there's a chasm between me and my sin nature and God and his holiness. If I want a relationship with him, if I want to be where he is, i got to have a miracle. Now, the problem is that even though many of you are like, yeah, that's right, that's how the Bible works. Functionally, though, oftentimes we don't live like there's a chasm. We live more like it's a sliding scale spectrum. And there's super bad way over there, and there's super good way over there where God is, and, and I'm, on, I'm on the spectrum. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I can always look to my left and go, man, I'm so glad I'm not that person. And that gives me a little bit of encouragement and hope. And I'm working really hard to kind of nudge my way towards God and his holiness over here. And man, I just hope that when I die, I've moved this way far enough that I can just reach out and grab God's hand. Hey, you're not on the spectrum, spiritually speaking. Right, your separation from God is a chasm. Okay, now hear, hear me on this. When we talk about how God sees us and what he thinks about us, the church today gets this wrong. If you look at the prosperity gospel, um, it's, it's an idea that really just focuses on your image-bearing qualities and skips the sin lens. And the idea of the prosperity gospel is that you deserve to be blessed by God. Look at how hard you've worked. Look at all that you've been through. You deserve to be blessed by God. You're an image bearer. Well, here's the, here's the problem with that. One, it's not true. What I deserve is eternal punishment. That's what I deserve. And if I buy into that, it diminishes the concept of grace. You know what grace is? It's an unmerited gift. It's not one you can kind of earn over time or nudge your way into. Grace is a gift or it's not grace at all. Paychecks are earned. Grace is not. And so there is a need to talk about sin and the chasm and the distance between me and where God is. I see an, an, an equally grave mistake by the, the hellfire brimstone crowd that focuses so much on the depravity end of things, and, right? And so you just get beat down week after week. You're so far down the, the spectrum, you're never going to get to where God. Try harder this week. God's going to be so disappointed, he's mad at you. Try harder this week. And some of you may have been in churches like that. And again, diminishing the miraculous gift of grace. Here's the truth of the matter, church. The chasm is immeasurable, and you can do nothing to bridge the gap why we need this Jesus we just sang about the true gospel here's the miracle church if you're in Christ you are God's beloved you're all the way there you're not part of the way there you're all the way there 
Like all the meaning of that word applies to you. You're beloved, you're esteemed, you have, you have God's favor. I don't deserve that. I know, that's why it's rooted in grace. But somebody in our, our community group recently asked a question. It was just super helpful um, to think about, like, they were talking about their struggle to believe these truths. It's like, yeah, but there's so many of us. How could I be God's favor? How could God love me like the way the Bible describes that he loves me? That question is, like, rooted in the idea of, like, the way I love. Like, I only got room for so much, so many people in my life. But here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. Like, don't miss this. God loves you. You are his beloved. And the quality of his love for you is as if there were only you. The reality is there's a way more than you, but the quality of his love for you is as if there were only you. This is Luke 15, these parables. Jesus is teaching about the lost sheep. You ever read that parable and go, what about the 99? That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that the shepherd loves the one lost sheep so much that he's going after it. That's you. The parable of the lost coin, the the woman turns her house upside down, sweeps every corner to find this one little lost coin. Most of us would write it off. Some of you feel written off by God and others. I would say, no, you're like a lost coin. I'm not writing. I'm going I'm to sweep the whole house until I find you. When he calls you beloved, it's as if you're the only one. And yet, you aren't. We are his beloved. Well, the next thing he says to those whom he loves this way is to do not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. This is an expression of God's kindness. He's not getting on to you. He's like, hey, I don't, I don't want you to be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. I think there are probably a couple of things happening that maybe you can relate to. Is one is we're striving to do good in life. We get surprised or caught off guard when something bad happens. We're like, what? And then the other thing that happens is when something bad happens, we go, ah, I probably deserve this. This is probably for doing a bunch of, ah, this is that. That lie I almost told yesterday, I know I talked myself out of it, but God knows I was at least thinking about it, and so here we are today, and he's punished me for it. He's like, hey, no, no, don't be caught off guard. You're going to encounter suffering as God's beloved. Do not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. The world has fallen, and everything in it has fallen. Every molecule molecule in the universe is impacted by the sin of Adam. And every cell in your body is impacted by the sin of Adam. Even if you don't get cancer. Just the aging process itself is not how God intended it to be. That's why we need a resurrected body. We need a new body. Jesus says it this way in John 16, kind of his departing advice for his disciples he says verse 33 i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace don't look for it in the world in the world you will have problems but take heart i have overcome the world jesus is saying this to his beloved disciples again i don't want you to be caught off guard in this world you're going to have trouble but in me you're going to have peace while you're having trouble 
And I want you to know that. Even my beloved will experience suffering. Now, Peter's going to refer to something um, here that he actually mentioned in chapter 1. He says, I don't want you to be surprised or caught off guard by the fiery trial. He's not talking about eternity in hell here. He's talking about you going through something so hard, it's going to feel like walking through a fire. It's a pretty vivid description. And in chapter 1, when he talks about this fiery trial, he says this. I'll read verse 6 and 7. He says, in this you rejoice. You celebrate. What are we celebrating, Peter? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by what? Fire. So he's comparing you walking through a trial to your faith being tested by fire, and the result is what? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We were in this passage in week two in this series, and we talked a lot about how the, the Bible lets us know that God works in our lives in trials. We talked about, hey, don't go out looking for suffering, but when it happens, you can have hope. God's not wasting that pain and that suffering and the loneliness and what you're going through. He's using it for your good to do a transformative work even in your life. And so even though our suffering is a result of living in a fallen world, God redeems our suffering. And what the enemy intends to use against us for harm, God uses this same pain and these experiences for our good and his glory. That's the fiery trial that Peter's talking about. It's painful, it's scary, lonely at times, but, but know this, Christ follower, God is not wasting that suffering. You may be begging God to relieve and to take it away, and maybe he hasn't done that yet. He is not wasting that suffering. He is using it for your good. So in verse 13 here in 1 Peter 4, once again, he calls us to rejoice. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may, be, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's talking about rejoicing now and a rejoicing that is to come. You can rejoice right now as you're walking through suffering, but when his glory is revealed, when Christ returns and you at that point turn and look back on your suffering and you're able to finally see all the good that God was doing in your suffering, there'll be even more rejoicing. There'll actually be a gladness. That's hard to imagine. You and I might have gladness over the trials we walk through in life. You can have a rejoicing right now, but there is a future rejoicing and gladness that will come when you can look back with hindsight and see all that God is doing in your life. So he says, let's rejoice. But he says it this way. He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And after this, he just reminds us you're not suffering because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. You're suffering as a Christian. You're suffering for doing good. But this idea of sharing in Christ's sufferings is worth stopping for a minute. There's one way to read this that I don't think is quite what Peter means. Paul talks about this too, sharing in Christ's sufferings. What we have to understand is that God is not saying, well, if you want to get into heaven, you're going to have to like suffer like Jesus did. You're going to have to share in his sufferings or I'm not going to let you in. I think if we look at the big picture, Christ was not suffering. 
but he was born into a fallen world, and so he chose to participate in our suffering. We were already suffering. You with me? When Jesus is born into the world, he's, I mean, the fir- with the first breath, he's suffering. And he's experiencing our suffering. He's sharing in our suffering. And I think what Paul and Peter are pointing out is that when you suffer, there's a kinship with Jesus. He's able to, he knows suffering. And you can have kinship with him in that suffering. You don't have a God who's, who doesn't know. You with me? So you don't just, uh, you're not just looking for another human being who has suffered. So you go, oh, now we can relate and I can feel some comfort. You actually have a God who said, I chose to suffer like you suffer and to share in your suffering. So when you suffer, just keep it, you're sharing in suffering with Jesus. He shared in your sufferings. And now when you suffer for doing good, you're sharing in his. And it's part of our fellowship. The word here is actually koinonia. That, that, you, that word we've talked about a lot here, that means fellowship. We have koinonia in our suffering with Jesus. And then verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? We'll come back to that phrase, obey the gospel. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. A couple things I want to point out. First of all, when we see judgment in Scripture, we almost always only think about hell. Okay? Now, hell is included in this idea of judgment and eternal punishment but like, you understand, like, that's not the excitement about being a Christian? Like, if your only motive to call yourself a Christian, have a relationship with God, is because you just don't want hell, you're missing it. We're saved from hell to God. Like, that's where the joy comes from. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm not going to suffer eternally, but I'm actually going to live eternally in the goodness and the glory of God. And that's the judgment. Like so many times the, the church misses one or two of those pieces. And it's like, no, it's like just you don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. So go to Jesus. You're going to go to hell if you don't go to Jesus. It's like, well, what if we flip that? Like, hey, there's something better and it's Jesus. Go to him. And in going to him, right, the forgiveness of sins means what? You don't suffer eternal judgment. He says judgment is beginning in the household of God. Through the gospel, you and I are saved from eternal punishment to, listen to this, an eternal relationship with God that is full of joy and glory. That, those are, I'm just quoting what Peter's talked about so far. And this relationship you have with God is unending, uninterrupted, unfading, untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. He talks about that inheritance in the first chapter. So if you're in Christ, judgment isn't the thing to be feared. It's actually like almost, it's like an exciting thing. I'm looking forward to Christ's return, his glory being revealed. I'm looking forward to God asking me to give an account for my life and, and, and having no other answer but the grace of Jesus. I'm looking forward to that. 
I'm not scared of that. I trust what Christ has done for me. I trust his promises. So I'm looking forward with excitement to that moment when God calls me to give an account and say, God, I have no account. I'm not going to take my good deeds and, and try to build a bridge to where you are because I will fall flat on my face. I've got no other boast but what Jesus has done for me. That's the good news of the gospel. And so when Peter says, hey, there are going to be some who don't obey the gospel, I like the, I like the wording because you know what the gospel demands of you? Here's the command of the gospel. Believe in what Jesus is offering you and you will have it. When we see obey, it's like, man, there's got to be a long list of rules, and whew, I'm going to need some cheat sheets and some cliff notes, and I'm going to need to look at my buddy. Like, I'm, like this is hard. I've got to pass the test. I've got to obey all the things the gospel commands of me so I can have a relationship with God. Yes, and here they are. You ready for the get your Get something right. You're going to need to write this down. Believe the gospel. Believe in Christ. That's what the gospel is commanding of you. Trust Jesus and him alone and you'll have it you hear that trust in him and him alone and here it is you'll have him the chasm is bridged all the way and so there will be some who do not obey the gospel and so he ends with this therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good this is really where we land today who or what are you trusting in entrust your soul to the faithful creator just a quick brief conversation about this fallen world that we live in most of us walk in here today trusting nobody but ourselves because you have encountered suffering in this fallen broken world and you've encountered the results of somebody else's sins directly or indirectly you're skeptical your trust is is hard-earned that's not just you that's all of us and at the end of the day in our suffering without the miracle of the gospel the only person that you really have grown to trust is yourself. Some of you are skeptical even of the person sitting next to you. Like It's like we have this, this radar on, this, this trustworthy radar on. Everywhere we go, everybody we talk to. Some of you are doing it with me right now. Can I trust this guy and what he says? Trust does not come easy. It doesn't. This is not a light thing that Peter's calling you to. Just word it this way. We've learned through sin and suffering to trust no one but ourselves. We become skeptical of almost every person in our life. You actually may not even be aware of it. You may just call this living. You may just call this wisdom and think that this is the way life was meant to be. There's a good chance that you walk in not just questioning whether or not the people in this room are trustworthy, but you may be even questioning God himself. And so this command, this call to entrust yourself to God is scary for you. I can understand that. 
the, what Peter's telling you is that you don't have to have that radar on with God. He's calling you to trust him 100%. As though this were a thousand foot drop. And Jesus says, here, take my hand. And I promise if you take my hand, you won't fall. That's a step of trust, right? Entrust yourselves to the faithful creator. So really, this boils down to a couple of questions about God's trustworthiness. Do you believe he's good? Do you believe God is safe? Do you believe he cares about you? I want to land with some really intentional questions for us to think about today before we close in prayer and invite our worship team back out. So I want you to think about this. So let's start with where we started today, back in verse 12. Knowing that God's word refers to you as his beloved, what does this say about God's feelings towards you today? Does the way you see God align with how the Bible describes him? Do you really believe that God loves you? Like he calls you his beloved. How do you feel about that? When you face hardship and suffering, take a minute to think about what do you normally turn to for comfort? What is your go-to? Fight, flight, freeze. Get bigger, control, protect yourself. What is your go-to response when you walk through something really hard? What do you turn to for comfort? What areas of your life are most difficult to entrust to God? I'll just put it this way. Do you trust him with your marriage? Maybe you're on the brink of giving up because you've lost trust. Do you trust God with your marriage? Do you trust God with your children? Do you trust God in friendships? Do you trust God in finances? Do you trust God in politics? And trust your soul, all of who you are, to the faithful creator. What areas do you struggle to trust God in? Maybe think about this. Do you have any past hurt or suffering that makes it hard for you to trust God in others? Maybe you know that about yourself. Like, I'm skeptical. Like, I trust, I don't give away trust easy. Maybe you know that about yourself. And just think about where did that come from? Maybe there's something in your story that you haven't brought to God or you have brought to God and it's still creating some fear and inability to trust. Do you have any past hurt or suffering that makes it hard for you to trust God and others? And here it is, the last question I want to ask. This is for every person in the room. Have you come to the place in your life where you have fully entrusted your soul to God? Like stepped off the cliff and said, here I am. I got no, I'm letting go of everything to trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, I'm going to pray for you right now. You would do that before you leave. If you want to talk to somebody, when our band comes up, you'll see some people on both sides of the room, prayer partners. Families, you may want to sneak out and go to one of our prayer rooms and pray together. 
You may be here and not know a soul. Come grab a prayer partner. Grab one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. I'm going to pray for us now. Our worship team's going to come back out, and then we'll get ready to respond. So I just invite you to, to bow your heads for a moment, maybe even close your eyes just to free yourself from distractions. Father, right now we, we come before you, um, God, really grateful. Um, while we are honest about how hard it is for us to trust, people and even you it's not because you are not trustworthy so god we just want to say that right now you are trustworthy you are faithful and not only that god you're good when we think about the chasm between where we are and and our sinfulness and where you are in your holiness god what a i can't think of a more beautiful expression of like goodness that you would bridge that gap for us. You would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So this morning, God, the, the command of the gospel is to entrust ourselves to you. And God, every person in this room would, would do well to stop and think about whether they've been a Christian for 30 minutes or 30 years or not at all. Have they, are they really trusting you right now? Maybe all across this room in different ways and different categories of life, we just need to open up our hands and let go. Let go of the attempt to control and manipulate and protect ourselves and just say, God, I am entrusting my soul to you. So, Father, I pray you would meet us where we are this morning. Meet us in our deepest needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.